Good morning, church. Good morning, those who are watching us. It was a weird morning for me as I was sitting in my car and driving. I looked back and I saw my family with me. It's like, okay, what are you guys doing with in the car? Uh, it's kind of a new experience for us, right, to have your family together worshiping in the congregation, going to church. That's exciting, isn't it? Well, we continue our fellowship with Apostle Paul and the, the Word of God and through his Spirit. Find your way to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. We're going to end this uh, chapter, which is basically half of the book, and Paul is fighting for freedom. Paul is fighting for freedom that every Christian should know that he is complete in Christ, and therefore he's satisfied in Christ. And this, as we were arguing together with Paul, is the power for your Christian sanctification and the power for Christian life. Now, last time we spoke and you saw that there were a couple of thieves that could steal and enslave you, uh, steal this freedom from you. And one of them were legalism in verse 16 to 17. And then there's mysticism. So those are thieves that come in and present that you're somehow incomplete. You need this rule and that rule. Or you need this experience or that experience. Your experience with Christ is not enough. Maybe one of some of us feel the same way. Sometimes we feel this, that somehow we're incomplete. We need some kind of experience. We need some kind of encounter with God. We need some kind of rules to follow. And so Paul warns us against this. Uh, he said, make sure that no one judges you. Make sure that no one defrauds you. And then in verses 20 to 23, he's going to warn us, make sure that you don't follow on, and be under someone else's authority. And you have to play dead. So verse 16, we read, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, in false humility, and the worship of the angels taking his stand on visions. He has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grow with the growth which is from God. Now, here's our verses. If you have died with Christ, if you have died with Christ, to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of man. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgences. Now, as I was preparing this uh, for this message, I was just surfing the internet, just kind of looking for the illustration sometimes. And, and I've, I stumble on this story, uh, and this, uh, it's not so much story, this is the, the fact um, about the horse. Uh, the horse named Jingang 
seems like your average horse. The author writes, he says, he is not, however, like just any other horse in his ranch. Jin Gang has some strong opinions about being ridden. And I don't speak horse, but I think the message he's trying to send to his riders is that he'd rather be dead. As soon as anyone gets a saddle on him, he dramatically collapses to the ground, sometimes with his feet in the air, and he's so committed to playing possum that he even hangs his tongue out of his mouth. After the humans start to walk away, he immediately stands up, but as soon as it looks like they're going to try to get back on the horse, he falls back over and does the whole performance again. Incredible. He does not want to be ridden on. Well, Paul is saying something to us that when sin comes in or a false teacher comes in, don't let him to ride on you. You're free. Now, one of the things that he's dealing with is, is, is a hard word to pronounce. In verses 20 to 28, I, I was, as, I was uh, uh, come to a conclusion that Paul is talking about asceticism. Asceticism. This is a thief. This is the floaty that would not hold you as a solid ground. Ascetics, and let me explain what that is. What is asceticism? I'll give you a couple of definitions. Uh, Webster defines this as relating to or having a strict or simple way of living that avoids physical pleasure. Oxford Dictionary defines it as characterized by severe self-discipline and abstention from all forms of indulgence, typically, typically for religious reasons. Now, what's wrong with this approach? Seems like when I read my Bible, I stumble on these verses, Matthew 16, 24. Jesus says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. The Bible speaks about self-denial and take up his cross and follow me. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul gave himself as an example. He said, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In his second uh, uh, letter to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Earlier in 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables. Fables fit only for the older men, but on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And sometimes we get confused and duped into the idea that asceticism or the rigorous abasement or treating of your body or withdrawing yourself from the congregation, withdrawing yourself from your wife or from uh, for this special encounter with God or for super humility, it is the same thing as the Bible speaks about self-denial. MacArthur defines this way, an ascetic is one who lives a life, a rigorous self-denial. In addition to practicing legalism and mysticism, the Colossian errorists were attempting to gain righteousness through self-denial. And here's the key. Ascetic trying to gain holiness through abstaining from certain things, from certain pleasure. The idea was sold to Colossians believers that the spirit must be free from the body and the body is evil and therefore you deny body pleasure so that you would enhance the spirit. 
and the spirit would be closer to God. It is assuming that by denying your body certain things, you benefiting the spirit. False teachers in Colossians were pushing this, but Paul is clear. He says, verse 23, uh, this approach has no value, absolutely zero value for fighting indulgence of your flesh. But the question still stands, how do we fight flesh? How do we come close to God? How, How do we become more perfect? How do we become more holy? How do we progress in our sanctification? Is it through obeying some rules? Is it to go into the mountain to be with God with certain experiences or by denying, going to the desert, denying of yourself of certain pleasure? Now, let me tell you just a brief history about asceticism. It becomes really popular in the early church and it went throughout. Even today we have monasteries and, and you, you could judge yourself. How are you prone to this type of following God. The end of the second century AD, during the great persecution under the Anthony, Marcus, uh, Marcus Aurelius, a number of Christians believed that they were called by God to live in a life of strict discipline and self-denial. They withdrew themselves into the desert called Desert of Setek, valley in Egypt, about 40 miles from Cairo. So, and as they withdrew, obviously they didn't have so much food. They didn't have so much money. They, they begged for, for food. And one of the most famous of them was Anthony. Anthony was so strict with his diet, so strict with him, himself that Athanasius, when he writes about him in 4th century AD, he says that, he never changed his vest or washed his feet. He never take a bath because he didn't want to look at his naked body, which could give him a wrong ideas. Now, he became the father of monasticism. In 270 AD, Anthony heard a sermon preached from Matthew 19.21. And this is a sermon about rich young ruler that when Jesus said, go and sell all your possession and give it to the poor and come follow me, and he took it really, really literally. So he took all his possessions, sold it, and then went into the desert. He moved deep into the desert to seek solitude with God. And the idea was to train the body to serve the soul. He would fast a lot, abstain from, you know, any uh, sex, devoting many hours to prayer, focusing and training the body to be holy. Now, later on, in 4th century, there was another ascetic that you probably heard of him, Simon Stylites. Stylite meaning the pillar. He spent the last 36 years of his life atop of 50-foot pillar, which was only meter by meter in, in square meter. He spent his time by sitting or standing in this restricted area. He was protected from railing not to fall off. The ladder was attached to the pillar to communicate with his disciples, but he never went down. He spent 36 years 
in, so to speak, solitude with God. Later, this pillar becomes become a, a famous pilgrimage where people come and worship God there. Even Martin Luther, before stumbling in verse in Romans 1.17, he almost killed himself with, through asceticism. He denied his body of clothing, slept on the floor, and then he stumbled on this verse. But righteous shall live by faith. That was an amazing discovery for him, an amazing discovery for the Protestants. Because now we shall live by faith, not by mysticism, not by legalism, and not by asceticism. And here's what Paul communicated in these verses. He said, you're free in Christ. You're complete in Christ. You have to associate with Christ. And only then, by faith, grabbing Christ, you will have breakthrough. Godliness is not found in legalism. Godliness is not found in mysticism. Godliness is not found in your ascetic practices. Godliness is found through faith in Jesus Christ in him alone. And Paul says, should not be shaped by anything but by Christ, by Christ alone. And, and when I speak these words, I feel like I, I hidden the hard wall. Sometimes I talk to people and they have no idea what I'm talking about. It is hard to grasp. We are so familiar with these verses, with Christ, through Christ, and by Christ, that it kind of loses the meaning. But the question for you this morning, how do you fight flesh? How do you fight flesh? How do you fight your gossip? How do you fight your hatred to your brothers or sisters? How do you fix relationship? How do you do that? You're using some kind of tool. You're using some kind of idea, some kind of thought process. Somehow you become more holy in your eyes. But does it work? Does it work? Now, Paul is saying in these verses, I'll tell you what, what doesn't work. He gives five, I think, five problems of asceticism, five problems of this idea that I could become more perfect, more holy with God by withdrawing from myself pleasure. I'll give you five, and then we'll go to the solution. Number one, godliness cannot be achieved by asceticism because these rules cannot change man's heart. Ascetic rules cannot change man's heart. It is impossible. It is literally impossible. Paul is arguing from the beginning, if you have died with Christ, and by the way, he says, since you have died with Christ, that's not a, that's not a question. That is not just a, just a proposition. This is not just a, you know, thing that we could ponder. No, no, no. Since you have died with Christ. It's a first uh, uh, if statement, first propositional clause. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, this is why are you in your right mind subject to any rules? Because they cannot change your heart. They cannot make your heart to submit to God. And what he's saying, do not try to modify your flesh. You've got to mortify your flesh. You can't modify your flesh. Like those who fix the houses, 
You know, you know if you have a termite infection, you can't just paint houses from the inside and outside, hoping that that's going to solve the problem. The, the rules do that. They just paint stuff around, and you are resting in a false assurance. Rules cannot deliver what they promise. They promise you that you're going to be better. If you abstain from certain things, you're going to be better and more perfect. But it is like receiving this Amazon package with little tiny things with this type of box. You have so much whole lot nothing and garbage when you just got a little thing. Well, asceticism will tell you that you're going to be better, but it cannot change your heart. Look. It says here, you have died to the elementary principles of the world. What is he talking about elementary principles of the world? Rules and decrees. In verse 2-8, if you go there, verse 2-8, he says, See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. And from this verse, we could see that this elementary principles of the world, they are enslaving, and they're also in opposition of Christ. They're not of Christ. They are of the world. These are worldly standards. It literally means that these principles, elementary principles of the world, meaning rules, the role of basic things, role of basic things. Sometimes, you know, it's referring to the words. People used to refer to the elementary principles of the world to elementary and, and basic powers of the world. Like ancient would say, well, air, fire, water, earth, it is the elementary blocks of the, our universe. If you watch a little you know, a kid's movie called Avatar, they, they use these powers, right? The water, the fire, the earth, and the air. And, and these are what rules the world. These are the blocks of the world. Later, superstitious pagans associate these elements with powers, thinking that gods are standing behind these powers. But in this context, he's talking about the rules, a simple basic rules, which is very attractive. You just do this and this and this, and they're going to make your life better. But the point Paul is making, that behind these rules is the world, and behind this world is the powers that is demonic. Because in verse 16, he says, therefore, no one is to act, uh, verse 15, when he had uh, disarmed the rulers and authorities who give you these rules to follow, who kill you with that, he said, he's disarmed them and made a public display of them, having triumph over them through him. So on the surface, it seems like a little rule, a little here, a little there, a little commandment here, here, a little addition here. Don't touch this, don't touch that. But behind this, a false teacher, and behind the false teacher is the power of demon that is an opposition to Christ and opposition to the grace because grace says you can't add to Christ. You can't add to Christ. What a deception. It cannot change your heart because you're submitting to these principles that only work for flesh. Later, he said that you have died for those decrees. Look, verse 20, he says, if you have died with Christ, to what are you died? To what did you die? To the elementary principles of the world. You playing dead like that dead horse, right? You don't associate with the world. You don't follow the world. 
And then he said, there's this dogmas, this decree, these ordinances, that in verse 14, Paul says that he was canceled. Look with me. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consistent of what? Decrees speaking against you. So these little rules and denial of things, now you're dead to them. You have died to them. Do not touch. Do not handle. It's similar words of the decrees. Now, Paul is not talking about the moral principles of the Bible. He's talking about the principles that related to the food, the drinking, and, and to what you're wearing. He's mocking these rules. For instance, he's not saying that you should not obey the law in its moral code. He doesn't say that you should, you should touch other women. He's not saying that. You could touch other, you, you should not touch. He's not mocking that. He's, he's mocking of the rules that we are making up by which we're trying to become better. You should not be participating in adultery, fornication, sexual promiscuity. That is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about your made-up rule or rules that were basic in the Scripture that by them you're trying to become better. Most likely, Paul is addressing the means of flesh, things like food, holy things in the temple, cups, altars, sacrifices, things that are not allowed to touch because they were holy. But since Christ died, the curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom, and now there are, everything is holy before God. I'll just give you uh, just illustration of that. When I was taking a baptism class back when I was uh, 16 years old, uh, and we had to go through the test, right? You, you presented before the church, and there's a test. And we were so scared. Like, well, I have to know kind of the whole Bible. Like, I have to understand what the whole Christian faith, what it's all about. And so I come out, and they have one question. How do you treat the bread in the communion? Well, well, I give them a, a, a right answer. They say, well, as holy. And I say, well, yeah, you, you pass. And so they baptize me. Well, this is kind of seeing how do you treat external things becomes more important how you treat internal things. You know, instead of for us asking, how do I deal with my gossip problem? How do you abstain from that? It's a lot easier to put on, on yourself some kind of rule and say, I should not touch the bread. Instead of asking, how can I love my neighbor? I ask myself, how can I keep away from things like head coverings, women wearing pants, you know, theater, dancing, movies and stuff, something that will look good and make uh, a statement that I am more holy. But Paul says, look, you not only died for this decree, and decree died for you, the law of God, Mosaic law, you died for it. In Romans 7, 4, 6, he says, therefore, my brethren, you also, we read this, were made to die to the law. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. We're not under the world not under the decree, not under the law, we're under Christ. 
Galatians 4.3, he says, So also, we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we may receive the adoption as sons, freedom from the law. And therefore, we died from all the commandments that comes with this. Now, Jews were really good because uh, they, they accumulate these commandments that he's saying. He says, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of man, what he's talking about here. Well, if you look at the Jewish history, they had so many commandments. You heard about 613 in the law? Well, forget that. They were adding to the law interpretation of it, which is recorded in Mishnah. For example, it is the legal call that results from rabbinic discussion regarding the Sabbath. And so you could, you could read a lot about Sabbath and additional stuff while you could obey it. Then there's Midrashin, commentaries on the Old Testament and the Haggadah, reasoning based on the, these commentaries. And finally, Kabbalah, full of mystical teachings, far-fetched allegories, spiritual, spiritualizing most of the things in the law. And then, if that would be not enough, they come up with the oral tradition, Talmud. And you can read that. And I tell you, you're going to get lost in those commandments of men. And you forget where your righteousness comes from. You become so ineffective by so legalistic. Because you are looking somewhere apart from Christ. And you could withdraw from a lot of pleasure. And they created the Sabbath keeping became a nightmare. A dishwashing become a ceremonial, you know, practice which is really complex. To which Paul says, look, you have died to that. In Mark chapter 7, he said, look, it doesn't matter how do you wash your dishes. It doesn't matter with what kind of hands are you eating the bread. Because it does not touch your heart. We died with Christ. To those things. Rules can change the heart. Rules can modify your life, modify your behavior, make you look good, but rules do not ever touch the heart. We die. Number two, ascetic rules cannot benefit men's internal soul. Well, here is a simple point. Here it says, which, verse 22, which all refer to things destined to perish. How can you, how can you, uh, Help your soul, eternal soul, with the things that are going to perish. Never hangs, I heard this, never hangs the matter of eternal weight upon temporal hooks. How can you enhance your soul, your spirit, with the flesh? It's impossible. These are destined to perish. Ceremonial washing of hands can wash your heart. And this is kind of a diversion. It is diversion from the real issue. I already asked, like, why do we gossip? Well, I tell you why do we gossip. Because we want to hurt people. That's why. Why do you ignore people? Well, because you don't care for people. Why do you lie to people? Well, because you want to look good or to avoid punishment. Why do you despise your sister? Well, because you hate her. 
These are the real matters of the heart. That by asceticism, you try to diverse yourself into something else and that look good and not dealing with these issues. You know, if you ate a cheesecake at 10 a.m. at 10 p.m. at night, it's okay. That's not going to kill you. Now, maybe physically, but not, that doesn't add to your spiritual righteousness at all. Ceremonies, clothing have nothing to do. We spend so much time on how do we look and what color of your hair and what, what you know, dress and stuff instead of just looking at the heart. But these things can because they're perish. And if you, if you pay attention to what is perishing, you're going to perish with it. Look, an internal Christ. Flesh uses material things, hoping that like, things like food, drinks, can ex- ex- enhance your eternal soul, but they can't. They can't. The problem of the asceticism number, number three is that ascetic rules bear no authority of God, has no authority over your life, zero. In verse 23, he says, it's a self-made religion. <laughs> it's just you created yourself, and therefore it's based on human ideas, has nothing to do with God. Self-made worship. Always in opposition to God. You know, it's embedded in our DNA, try to achieve something by adding to Christ. Isn't it? Like, I'm always battling to think about myself good because I did something. And just simply united with Christ, thinking I am good only because he made me good. He called me good. He justified me. It is a complete gift of God. That's what Jesus says to Pharisees, he says, look, you're abandoning the, the authority of God and, and base your authority with all these adding regulations. And by, by the way, what Paul says later in Galatians 6, 8, he says, whoever sow to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sow to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Rules have no authority of God is just simply made by men. Number four, ascetic rules are empowering man's pride. That's what you're going to end up with. You will be a proud person even if you look very miserable. You'll be barefoot, walking on the street. You're this holy man, but you're not dealing with pride. You're enhancing it. Paul says... There appear to look to self-humility. They appear. It says, verse 23, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. Oh, they look good. These rules, abstinence, they look good. Like you didn't put makeup on yourself today. You may, it, you know, you get boast in this. But it's a false promise of godliness. You know, it's like when you watch infomercials, right? And there's like so much pump and stuff, and then you get this vacuum cleaner that doesn't vacuum anything. But there was so much pump, there were so much promises. Boy, it looks good. Paul grants in, in, in here, he says, that it has an appearance of wisdom. Why would you invest in an appearance, not in a real thing? The sort of rule-keeping approach to the Christian life only serves to feed the flesh because it doesn't deal with the pride. 
flesh-like rules, flesh-like sacrifices for self-benefits. We all do them. Flesh wants to look good, even by looking bad. Rules are appealing. Sacrifices are, are, are weighty for us. Things which people hear that they could say, like, wow, this is great. Wow, um, amazingly, how can you do that? And all of a sudden, it just goes to your prize. Like, how can you live in this shack? How can, you're so humble. How can you live on this pillar of, away from every relationship and just have this communion with God for 36 years? That looks impressive. But I tell you, it works for flesh. I tell you what happens. If you go to that path, pretty soon you will think about yourself as a great man who achieved godliness. And then you will look down on everyone because you could do something. And you will fall into trap, start sinking in this pothole. And it will become like story that Jesus told about Pharisee. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I don't, I'm not swindler or unjust or adulterer or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of what I get. Look at me, how humble I am. That's what he says here. This is appearance of wisdom that promises you that these, these abstinence and, and ascetic life would give you uh, but it's based on the main religion, men religion, man-made religion, and self-abasement and severe treatment is just enhancing the fleshly indulgences. Rules promise a lot, but deliver nothing. But we'll do them. Let me ask. How are they working out for you? How are they working out for you? you know, there's some things after 25 years of marriage, I still find myself that I haven't dealt with them. Well, I dealt with them by applying rules. But then the pride that is inside, the sin, the lust, it comes out. Because maybe I put the muzzle upon them because I have never dealt with them. Oh, am I look good? Am I engaged in worship, but it might be self-made worship? I engage in a self-abasement and this humility, but it might be false humility. I might treat my body severely, trying to be disciplined, but I end up with no value and no advancement to holiness. You know, it's interesting that this asceticism is, the, is the another side of the coin of the prosperity gospel. It might not seem like this way, but I think so. Instead of focusing on Christ and his riches or what you have in Christ and union with Christ alone, the prosperity gospel focuses on the riches that you could get through Christ. Right? You could get health and, and wealth and, and prosperity and riches and glory and here and now because you... You have focus on that, not on Christ. Asceticism focuses on poverty, on how humble you are, 
on denial of good things that God gave you, denial of marriage, denial of sex, denial of food, denial of, of, you know, of your uh, time and rest. And in that, find the satisfaction. But both of them not finding satisfaction in Christ. Both of them doing the same things, focusing on self rather than focusing on Christ. Either self-worthy that God must give it to me or so humble that God must give it to you. Look, God, I'm so low. I'm so humble. Here I am. Bless me with your relationship. Asceticism might make a personal appeal spiritual, appear spiritual because of his emphasis on humility and poverty, but it serves only to gratify the flesh. Severe self-denial only looks humble, but it is only an appearance. Rule can put a muzzle on the mad flesh, but it doesn't change the thing in the nature of the flesh, nature of the flesh. <laughs> you know, trying to mod- modify the flesh, it's like trying to pet an alligator. Brothers and sisters, I would never pet an alligator even if I it would hatch in my, you know, in my hands. Because sooner or later, it will eat me. I would never cuddle in the bed with alligator because I don't believe that alligators are capable for relationship or affection for humans. It's just a matter of time. You can modify the behavior. You can change his heart. What do you have to do? Look, if I see an alligator, you know, I call the services or I kill it. What Paul says is, how to deal with the flesh is you have to die for it. You have to die for it. Die with Christ. That's what he's arguing in verse 20. If or since you have died with Christ, consider yourself dead. Number five, ascetic rules are useless against the flesh. Useless. They're a useless weapon to fight the flesh because they just build the flesh. They're all of no value against the flesh. You know, humanity's basic and universal effort is to be better are useless and therefore ought to be rejected. You cannot build flesh or kill flesh by flesh. Rule, rules like oils to the fire can never put up the fire, but encourage the fire to burn. I like how Alexander McLaren wrote. He says, any asceticism is a great deal more to men's taste than abandoning self. They will rather stick hooks in their backs and do the swinging puja than give up their sins and yield up their wills. There's only one thing that will put the collar on their neck of the animal within us, and that is the power of the indwelling Christ. Ascetic religion is godless, for it is practitioners essentially worship themselves. As such, we are not to be intimidated by it. You cannot fight flesh with flesh. Let's say you battle in a sexual desire. Let's say you battle in a temptation. You could do a lot of things. And I, I've heard people do you know, helpful, good things in applying rule and abstinence. So you have to kill the internet. You have to move to Alaska, move to a shock, just isolate yourself, go to a desert where you have no temptations. But that's not how Bible teaches us to do. This is 
what we wanted to do, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you, as soon as you plug in the internet back, as soon as you come back from Alaska or from the desert, and you see a pretty girl, you will deal with that in exactly the same way. How do you deal with that? How do you fight flesh? How do you fight your anger? How do you fight your loss? How do you fight your hatred to people? Well, it's not by abstaining from people or putting on yourself certain rules that you have to get up at 6 a.m. in the morning and do some ritual. It is by uniting with Christ. That's so simple. You say, well, that is just so simple. Give me some rules. Give me some things, accountability and stuff. But I tell you, nothing will work. Nothing will work. Unless you find yourself dying with Christ, associating with Christ, and pleasing Christ as your highest priority in life. The solution is not trying to subdue the flesh by rules, by attaching closely to Christ. And solution really is in death. You have to die. You have to die. You have to die with Christ. You have to, by faith, plunge yourself on the cross with Jesus Christ and keep yourself there saying that whatever happened to Christ happened to me, and it is by faith. How do you fight temptation? By faith. By placing yourself in Christ. You see, godliness is not found with ascetic practices. Godliness only could be achieved through union with Christ by your faith. And as long as our religion is dissociated with, from Christ, you will lose. You have no power of transformation. You might look good. You might seem like 25 years of Christian, that some kind of progress. But, but if you are disassociated, if you do not know what that means, union with Christ, by faith, then you have no chance. Godliness can all be realized through union with Christ. Get the right perspective. Start with Christ and let his truth rewrite your story. Paul is arguing, look, that's stupid. I mean, if, if, if you have died with Christ, you, it's like, why, what are you doing? Like, why are you on these, these rules, regulations that have no value? They have no power. They have no authority. Why are you associating with that? Rather, just progress in Christ. We have safely said, we could safely say, say since you have died with Christ, this is the fact. The fact that will follow in chapter 3 will happen to you. Death breaks the bond. Previous slave master does not have any power over to you to rule your debt to sin, your debt with Christ. And you're free by this death. Death is a powerful thing. There's one thing that Paul is stressing over and over again, our association with the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And is the key to powerful life against flesh. Believers are united with Christ and should be separated from the powers and structures of this fallen world system. Because with Christ, we have died to the law. With Christ, we are resurrected to a new life. And with Christ, we are able to do what is written in verse chapter 3 and 4. Then we could do that. Let me ask you this question. Have you died with Christ? 
Do you know what that means? Now, we're not promoting lawlessness, but you died with Christ to the law, to, to all the regulations. But guess what? When you resurrected, you resurrected in the power of Christ to obey Christ. Obey Christ. We're not, we're not saying that now you are free to do whatever you want. We, you're free to disobey the government. You're free to riot with the rebels. You're free to, to break into the stores and rob the shoes and mannequins. We're not telling that. We're called you to die to cry with Christ to sin so that you could resurrect with him and live with him. That is life that is different. How do we kill that sin? By dying for it. You have died. That's why I like this example about this horse. Horse doesn't let you to ride on it. You know, you just play dead. When sin comes in, so that's the reality. Died with Christ. You have no authority over me. When false teacher comes in that you have to do this and this and this, well, I have died for that regulations. If someone opened you the Bible and said, well, look, you can't do this and this and this from Old Testament, you say, well, look, I'm dead. I can't hear you. I'm living in Christ. I'm in freedom to do what he wants me to do. And that is loving people, loving God. Colossians 3, 1, 3 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is what your focus is. You are always associated with Christ, not with the rules. Set your mind and the things above, not other things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Live in freedom. Freedom from burdens. Christ told you, look, you are miserable under the, the suppression of, of these regulations that were imposed by false teachers and imposed by the demons. You're free. We read in Romans 6, 7 says, but now we have been released from the law, released from the law, having died to that which has been bound, by which we were bound, so that we're serving the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Galatians 2.19, so for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now imagine this. We have this COVID-19 regulations. In a few weeks, hopefully, this regulation will be over. Like a happy thought. Well, I don't have to wear a mask when I go to Costco, right? It's amazing. Curfew is off. I don't have to wear a mask anymore when I visited my relatives and I could mingle with people and I could go about my business, whatever I want. But just imagine that, that you don't buy this freedom. Like in two weeks, they would lift the restriction and you would say, you know what, just in case so that I disobey the government, I will wear my mask everywhere I go. In fact, I will wear my mask in my house. And when I go to sleep, I will not take it off, just in case that I will be obedient to every command and regulations. Well, how stupid would you look? Right? This is how we look when there is no regulations, no more of the law that we try to go back and present ourselves. Look, but we are humble enough to obey even that little things without thinking that every time we 
try to obey any law, we do it so imperfectly. And our hope is only in Christ who obeyed the whole law. He alone. Paul's message to Colossians is also warning to us we are not to be intimidated by these philosophies, by these practices, by these new experiences, or by these rules. We must hold fast to Christ in whom we have been made complete. That is the story of the gospel, freedom. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for liberating us. Thank you for setting our hearts on Christ. That we have been baptized with him. That you remove the body of flesh. And even though we battle it every day, the only way to win over it is to keep ourselves associated with you in being dead to law, being dead to sin, and alive to Christ. We're not following by the little details in the law. We're following by the love of Christ. We're following you by the love of Christ, and love of Christ compels us and controls us and keeps us safe. Not the rules, not the burden of the law, but Christ. We praise you for that. We praise you. We want to be disciplined, but for the whole different reason. We want to be disciplined to be pleasant pleasant in your eyes, and that is all. Thinking at any moment we can add or subtract anything what Christ did for us. For his sacrifice and life for us was so perfect, so awesome that in it you made us perfect. And on this solid rock, we stand. Pray that we learn that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.